This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're back, and today, it's today, Wednesday, and uh, Congressman Peter King is here, and, and we have, just back from, from the Far East, we have... Uh, Anthony Carbonetti, and welcome back. Thank you. I was at the Bloomberg conference in Doha. Very wow. interesting. And Bloomberg was there. Mike did the opening. Yes, he did. Wow. And, and what, what what happens in the Bloomberg conference in Doha? Everyone talks about it's it's the global economy. I mean, they spoke about everything from mining minerals for electric volt batteries to the housing crisis to you know COVID in Africa. It runs the gamut. I love Doha. It's so, so they're, they're trying to become relevant, like the, those other uh, conferences in Europe. Yeah, it's it's a giant economic forum. Uh, John, you, you were probably one of the few billionaires I didn't see there. <laughs> Every friend, you know, a lot of the real estate guys were there. A lot of the big fund guys were there. Well, Bloomberg is a little uh, bit jealous. But that's, <laughs> yeah. catch, Stephen Schwartzman I, I, did. Uh, no, listen, I'm catching up with him. But take me about 150 years. But no, I think it could be I don't sooner. Think so. I think it's sooner. By the way, it's very chic too. You you brought up they have like a Fairmont and they have a Cipriani. There's a Cipriani, and, a Carbone, and, and yeah. in the studio too. We have uh, we got Peter uh, King and we got his grandson and, and Jack King. Or Jack Sweeney. Wait a minute. You want to Jack make him Sweeney an actor? King. Or you, Jack King Sweeney. Do you want to make him an actor or a producer, John? I don't Which know. one do you we'll keep see. saying? It's got and, a good uh, name, listen, though. I love I just Jack's heard name. Bob Brown, and Bob Brown, uh, 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 tell us about that artificial intelligence and using the court case, Bob. Yes, let me, uh, actually, was, <laughs> I was like reviewing it, uh, right now. Let's go to that story. Well, it seems that, um, it was, it was right here. Hold on, John. Of course, yeah, they got tried it. to use it right. in the court so hap- Yes. What happened was uh, a gentleman uh, tried to sue an airline back in 2019. He was hit with a serving cart. Uh, the airline moved to dismiss the suit. Uh, the lawyer filed a motion opposing the dismissal. Now, the motion was generated using chat GPT. Uh, which completely made up numerous legal decisions cited in the motion. Uh, the ju- then the, um, Laduca, the, who was the, uh, the attorney had to physically get those cases, uh, to, pr- to, to present in court. But all it comes down to now is the lawyer has to appear on June 8th before the judge to explain all this. Well, the truth is, guys, and uh, Tony Carbonetti, and I know a little bit about computers. That artificial intelligence is a lot of crap. It's, it's, <laughs> it's it, how do you say crap in equals crap out? That's why I'm not allowed to say the other four letter word on radio. <laughs> crap in equals crap out. Uh, for instance, uh, Rita, if you go to that artificial intelligence and say, um, uh, how is Joe Biden as president? It'll say what? Sharp as attack. That's what they <laughs> and, and, and if you ask the artificial intelligence, uh, uh, how is uh, Donald Trump as president? They go, Trump who? 
Right. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. You, you hit it. Crap in, crap out. Artificial intelligence is another, another game being played with the American people. What do you say, uh, Tony? So I always assumed if you input stuff, right, like you just said, whatever you put into it. Crap in equals crap out. But if I input <laughs> all of, let's say, Alan Dershowitz's legal writings, can I ask it then to represent me as if it was Alan Dershowitz? We got to ask remember, Alan. We remember wow. Alan Dershowitz. We got to ask Alan. Yes. I remember Alan Dershowitz. Is Alan Dershowitz We're on? Ask Alan he is that. ready. He All is right, ready. All right, let's go. All right, so let's go to the man himself. A man uh, of real intelligence. Well, exactly. Well, the vast majority of judges that I'm, I've been in front of would benefit from a little artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so the question is, can we do better than what we have now? And I think we can do better. We have to know how to use artificial intelligence. We can use it to find citations. We can use it to do tasks that the machine does better than human beings. But it's not going to be able to think through sophisticated uh, analyses uh, of the kind that, you know, lawyers take. I've been doing this 60 years. A machine can't replicate 60 years of experience. And it can't look a judge in the eye and figure out what kind of arguments might appeal to that judge, what kind of arguments might not appeal to that judge. So I think there's a place for artificial intelligence in law and medicine in a range of other issues, but it has to be limited. And in the end, human beings have to take responsibility for, as you say, what goes in to make sure what goes in is not crap, but uh, legitimate stuff. So what comes out yes, can but be it, helpful it, it, it goes helpful. It goes in the direction. Artificial intelligence, it does not substitute for real intelligence of the human mind. It's, it, I agree with you, it, except it, in it's, areas it, like chess, But it you know, depends it, on the program, computer programmer and the yeah. algorithms he puts in to come out with. Look, I, I know a, a little case, bit about I programming. Case, I have a case pending now about that, about challenging the algorithms that are used in vote counting machines. The argument I've made, the constitutional argument. It, it shouldn't, by the way, there the should dump, not yeah. be algorithms. I was going to say, why, why would it have an algorithm? Yeah. One, it should just count two, one plus one three. plus two. Have them, if, you're gonna, if the government's going to delegate responsibility for the most important thing in the world in a democracy, that is vote counting, at the very least, the company that makes the money doing this has to be transparent uh, and has to uh, be as transparent as the government would be. It can't hide behind, you know, private secrets and then perform a governmental function. So I'm litigating that case. Uh, I'm right anti-computer now. voting. Why not just vote? Yeah. Is it really that hard? One, two, three. Count the ballots. Not that hard. Listen, Look, I love voting in person. Uh, I love yes. 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 voting yes. in person. Yes. My neighbors. Yes. yes. Doing it on the day of election day, I'm old fashioned. The old minute Alan Dershowitz have to vote, I'm yeah. not talking about any particular machine, no, no particular anything. Just the concept, but the you concept. Don't have, you don't want to have to pay seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Yes. So don't mention just the, any machine. Just no, just or seven eighty seven. I was a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. I, I the minute you hook up a computer to the internet. And somebody outside people have access to it. Anything could be done. Yeah, look, I, I know that for a fact. And, of course, and 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 the government has to demand that companies to which it delegates responsibility be as transparent as the government. And you know, I'm litigating that case, and um, there's a lot of opposition, and people are saying, "Oh my God, we're really just trying to uh, to undercut." Faith in elections. No, I want to increase the faith in elections 
by making them fair. I think it's so important that the next election for president be the fairest election in the history of this country that nobody, winner, loser, anybody can complain about it because we're in a here, crisis here. now. A third of the country thinks that there's a there's a problem with the last election. I don't agree with that. But you can't live in a democracy where people are doubting the outcome of elections. Well, I, had lunch, week, professor, I had yeah. lunch last week, Professor. I had lunch last week with a professor. Uh, what was his name? Epstein. No relation to Jeff. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, and um, nobody wants to be related. To nobody Jeff. wants to be related to yeah. Jeff. And he has computer models, and 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 he has. He says he has proven that Google didn't do anything illegal, but you know what they did? Let, let's say, uh, you know, when you go up to Google to type in the search, the, the search, and sometimes there's a question up there or it gives you a tip up there. Well, they said go out to vote, on, 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 but they only put that in Democratic neighborhoods. That's right, and it was That's Robert what, Epstein, right? Yes. And it was with Miranda Devine when yes, you had the lunch. Miranda I remember you talking was about at it. Lunch. Yep. And 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 I the truth is I don't know what the truth is, but that was the allegation. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, Professor Dershowitz, too, I want to get you as you're talking about all this but, stuff. By the way, Facebook yeah. I mean, it's not illegal. Not illegal, but Facebook put up four hundred and fifty million dollars in five states to have those uh the votes. Sucker boxes. Yeah, yeah, John, I think it is uh, Alan, this is Pete King. I think the whole idea of early voting, listen, if, if, if there's a reason you have to travel, you're going to be sick or whatever, yeah, but voting yeah. on October 1st, an election is going to take place in five days. I agree. And that being out there, to me, it undermines the whole idea. To me, an election is like a novel or a story. It builds up to election day. And uh, I'm just thinking of all the things that have happened in the last three or four weeks of different campaigns. Of course. Yeah, and if you course. vote early, and it, and it also encourages people to be handing out ballots and everything. It's just... Uh, Undermines Look, the confidence. I completely agree with you, yeah. but the courts are now, you know, ruling against. I want old-fashioned voting. People, yeah. if you want to have extended voting, do it Saturday, Sunday, of. Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, I understand. Four days. By the way, and I agree with you, John. It should be more than one day because yeah. some people Saturday, get sick. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I agree. I yeah. agree. By yeah. the way, you're speaking about crap. Um, I want to do a nice segue because I can't believe this CUNY law grad uh, who gave the speech. Talk about crap, as John aptly describes that hate-filled, vile speech. This is the law graduate who spoke at the City University of New York. There is so much fallout. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, I cannot believe that this is a law graduate picked by her peers, apparently yeah. vetted by at least some faculty, and she spewed this anti-NYPD, uh, anti-military, and anti-Israel. What is your reaction? And anti-Semitic, too. It's only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, City University of New York Law School is an embarrassment to the legal profession, an embarrassment to the city of New York. Their faculty as a whole, as a whole, voted to boycott only one country in the world, uh, Israel, of course. Oh, my Their God. Their faculty voted that. Imagine if you're a student there and you are a Zionist believer in Israel, and you have to be in the class of a professor who voted with the entire faculty to you boycott failed. Israeli academics. It's just unfair. Let me, let me tell you, the state of New York and the city of New York has to tell City University of New York, become a private university, a private law school. We will no longer fund you. We will no longer pay for this kind of bigotry. We will no longer pay for this kind of hate speech. It's the tip of the iceberg. The whole school, with a few exceptions, have been corrupted. And by the way, this comes from one of the faculty members of the school who spoke the other day about this 
and said how unfair it is. By the way, we're going to have him on. We have the CUNY yeah. professor Jeffrey Lacks on. Yep, That's he's the guy. He's That's a law guy. school professor. Gonna, you better, professor, you, uh, you better listen to him. He's going to be on about five twenty-five. I'll try. He's a gutsy, gutsy guy. Would you tell him that I really commend him and I congratulate him? And tomorrow, I think tomorrow in the New York Post, I'm going to have uh, an article about this along with Andrew Stein about what to do about this. Is he alive? Is Andrew Stein alive? Oh, that's right. He got saved by Woody Allen. He got saved by Woody Allen. Oh, wait. Wait a minute. That's right, Professor. You were there. He almost choked on gefilte fish. Yeah, t- tell, Somebody said it was pork. But tell, it was us, tell us what happened, because it was you were at the dinner. That's right. I was at the dinner. Brett, uh, you know, uh, 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 Brett Stevens was there. Uh, Woody Allen was there. Woody Allen's wife was there. Uh, I was there, and um, and and Woody was sitting right next. I, I, I want to know who uh, paid up. Who I want to know who paid the bill. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> I was going to say after, Andrew after paid he the got bill? his life saved. He had he to creates these dinners, but it's the <laughs> wonderful dinners. I go once every couple of months, and it's it's just great. And then he suddenly choked apparently on a piece of veal, and I was having pasta, and I immediately got up and screamed for a doctor and ran outside. Finally, found two doctors, but by that time. He had already coughed up um, the, the the veal because Woody put his arms around him. He did the Heimlich. He did the Heimlich and, maneuver, and, yeah, right? And, and saved his life. It's the third time Woody Allen has used the Heimlich maneuver. He told me that he also used it to on. Yeah, he's Bobby, a good dinner date. <laughs> Bobby Kennedy's wife uh, when she was a young woman, and they were together, and he used it on her. And then he used it on some producer or something. And like Alan, that. you did the he's George terrible. Costanza thing. You went running outside. What happened? Uh, I wanted a doctor, a real doctor. Oh, okay. it, they couldn't use the Heimlich maneuver. There are other things that can be done in case of choking. And so it's very important to have a doctor uh, there. But everything works. Everyone's good. Be- before we field. have to break, there's one more question I'm going to ask you, uh, Professor. Uh, Comer is going to see Christopher Ray, and Christopher Ray wants to show him the evidence on uh, and privately in camera, privately. it's called. But he's not. And this is John. The document is the allegation is that there's some five million dollar pay for play scheme tied to then Vice President Biden. Uh, but the document exists. That's what's really interesting. We got a confirmation a few hours ago because at least Ray said the document exists and we're going to show it to you privately. Comer says you need to show it to Congress. What What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think first show it to him privately, make sure it's legitimate, and then show it to Congress, and then show it to the American public. There shouldn't be secrets from the American public when it involves, you know, something as important as that. Um, as you know, I'm a, I'm a liberal Democrat. I voted for, for, for Joe Biden, but I want everything to come out. I don't want any secrets. I don't want to know three years from now or five years from now that there was something that might have impacted an election. That was withheld. I want everything to come out. I agree. I agree 100%. And by the way, uh, before we let you go, um, Professor, your book is awesome. Get Trump. I want to make sure I tell everybody it's awesome. I appreciate it. That's so nice. Thank you. Get Trump. And people are still trying to get Trump. And they're trying to get his lawyers. And they're trying to get everybody who has anything to do with them. And that is McCarthyism. I know. I know Donald Trump for 40 years. I don't agree with everything he does and says. But they're going to try to get him one way or another. And the question yeah. is, will they try to kill him if they don't get him legally? No, but they'll try I to get him not. legally. They'll try to get him legally. And uh, I, I, on the basis of the evidence that I've seen, I don't think they have a legal case anywhere. Not in New York, not in Florida, not in uh, Georgia. But you, might, you have to find an honest judge. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah, his poll yeah, numbers go yeah. up every time he gets indicted. Pete, we were just talking about this. I mean, what oh, somebody candidate? said to me the what other day, we got to take a break. Somebody said to me, I said you had to pay a five million dollar fine. He says, but he collected twenty million on the other side. Here's what I. Here's my suggestion. All the evidence ought to be submitted to an artificial intelligence machine. He's guilty. Whether or not you can get an objective. It'll be better than a jury in Manhattan. I have to tell you that Donald Trump would get more justice from an artificial intelligence machine than from a jury in Manhattan. Oh my God. What is it? Crap in, crap out. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> Professor, we, lo- we love you, Professor. Thank you so much. And let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we are back here on Katz and Cosby. And there was a headline the other day that even though BLM, Black Lives Matter, raised nearly 90 million bucks over two years, uh, they may be going broke. Where did the money go? Well, joining us now is the chairman of Project 21. He's on the National Advisory Board, Horace Cooper. Uh, Horace, uh, are you surprised to hear maybe the money didn't go to uh, helping black lives? Well, the money was raised in the name of helping black lives, but even uh, on their website, uh, they indicated that the policies that they were advocating would do nothing to help black lives. Uh, They wanted to eliminate uh, law enforcement, even though polling after polls after polls showed black Americans more than any other group want more law enforcement in their communities and not less. Uh, They came out against the standard nuclear family, and most observers point out uh, that the nuclear family is a key success strategy for any culture and that black Americans actually need more stable nuclear families, not less. Uh, Apparently, they wanted to buy as many mansions and uh, many, many uh, lodges and other expensive real estate properties that they could transfer to others that had nothing to do with black America. So when you look at what they said they were going to do and what they did, they followed through on their radical agenda but actually helping blacks? No, I wasn't surprised. So what about the people who donated uh, the millions upon millions of dollars, you know, thinking they're doing it to, you know, help black lives? Can they get the money back, Horace? I mean, because it... Come it, where? Yeah. Well, no money. Well, go get the... At least get the mansion back. Get one of the mansions back, John. So legally, it's a buyer beware circumstance. Um, if you have a spare $1,000 or even if you're taking the baby's milk money and you're giving it to a cause, it's actually your job. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, state attorney generals are uh, well within their bounds to investigate these abuses. Will they force money back? That's not as likely. But they may actually have criminal sanctions uh, that flow. Now, many of the founding board members have skipped town, resigned their position, and wanting to argue that they didn't really understand what was happening. Who are the board members? Robbed, 
Well, Patricia Colors is one of them. But if if you are if a bank gets robbed, the money is gone, and you drove the getaway truck, you don't get to say I didn't have any idea what was happening. I, I opened the door, a bunch of people jumped in, they had a lot of money, and I ran off. Your criminal liability is not going to be easily escaped with some sort of claim of ignorance. Wow. So where do you, what do you see about the future of Black Lives you, you Matter? Know what, you know what we need? We need the names of the big CEOs that wrote out $10 million checks. I'd be outraged. I mean, know? Do we have a list of that? Uh... Yeah, who are the biggest no. donors? There has, you been know? No, there has been no transparency uh, move. Uh, they call them best practices on the part of organizations. You look at some of the major uh, groups like the Red Cross, and uh, you'll see that they list some of their providers. However, a large number of groups like Apple, like Microsoft, like General Motors announced publicly uh, that they were making uh, large contributions. Amazon did uh, a, a, a rebate, not a rebate, a copay. All where, four uh, of you- those companies have a huge process, an internal process, where if you're a legitimate charity, you have to go to them and you know go through this elaborate process just to get a piece of the pie, and they handed out money to BLM on a whim from the CEO. Whim or uh, kind of pressured publicly. Uh, you're right. A little wind, but a little virtue pressure. Signaling. This was virtue signaling. Yes. We are good people. Look, we took good money and threw it into the trash. See, that's proof that we're good people. Now, the real measure of good people is what improvements occurred as a result. Now, you just mentioned that these organizations and many of the other large ones have formal processes in place so that they can guarantee these resources that they provide are provided appropriately and used appropriately. They chose not to do so. Now, that doesn't excuse BLM for running off and buying mansions and uh, hiring relatives and paying them four, five, or ten times more than what they could have earned in the private sector. Those things can be investigated and likely will be found to be criminal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> any sort of ripoff um, is obviously outrageous. Well, Horace Cooper, you got to come back on again soon. We always love having you here and telling us uh, straight stuff. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. And everybody, uh, we're all talking about, of course, this CUNY law grad speech, of course, from the City University of New York, this hate-spilled vitriol against Israel, against the NYPD, calling them fascists. Also, the military, she even blasted CUNY. And, and against the entire country, really. And the whole country. You're right. Um, and uh, Pete, now joining us here on the show is a veteran CUNY law professor. He has been a full-time CUNY professor for about 20 years, Professor Jeffrey Lax. Uh, professor, how could this happen uh, at the law school graduation? This is unbelievable. Wow, that's a great question. How could this happen at the law school graduation? It's an absolute disgrace. In my 20 years of doing this, I have to say this is by far, it's not even close, the most horrific commencement speech I have ever heard. I think, as speaking as a lawyer, that it comes extremely close to incitement of violence because she calls for rage. What does days of rage mean in the Middle East nowadays? When you call for rage against Zionist Jews, you're calling for, in my view, violence against an entire group of people. 
She called for rage against capitalism. People like to talk about insurrections a lot nowadays. You know what? This sounded very close to me like a call for an insurrection. Yeah, what, did, what? How did this happen? I mean, who goes through, who vets these speeches, first off? Was there at least somebody on the faculty who vetted this speech? And also, what, it was students who selected this vile speaker? That's a great question, and it's very interesting what went down here. So uh, let me give you just a tiny bit of the background. This speech was available on video uh, publicly because it was streamed live. And CUNY law immediately wiped it off of the Internet completely right after it was after the commencement ended. Um, And then what happened was we my group, Safe CUNY, uh, I'm a proud co-founder of, foiled the video because we had heard that it was really bad. And they didn't give it to us because they didn't want to give it to us, but they made it public. So the question is, why did they hide it to begin with? Uh, and then I'm definitely going to answer your question. Don't worry a second about how that happened. Um, but what happened is CUNY Law School is under state investigation right now pursuant to co- a complaint that we made, my organization made, that they have BDS policy. Their faculty has unanimously adopted BDS as policy in the institution. And her speech gave specific examples of how the BDS policy is being implemented. So what we think is that the law school wanted to hide and obstruct the investigation against them and not have to, because it's finishing up. And they didn't want the investigators to see the implementation of, of the BDS policy. But to answer your question, in my 20 years of doing this, Rita, I have never heard of a commencement speech that was not vetted by an administration. And we know for a fact this speech was vetted by the administration. I do have good sources on that. What the administration is claiming, as far as I know, behind the scenes as of now, is that they were given a document that was altered when the actual speech was given. Now, we need to see that original document, right? That's the big question. What did it look like? Well, and, and you know, the thing is, too, what I find hard to believe, Jeff, is that if this person, even if there was some alteration, this person doesn't seem to be hiding their emotions whatsoever. I feel like if you stopped her down the street, she would repeat what she said there. So, I mean, clearly, whoever vetted her probably knew her opinions. Maybe it was watered down. But, I mean, do you believe that uh, that this was some big epiphany or surprise when you know, she got on the stage? You know, so if, if I can answer that question, this is Pete King. Uh, you know, they selected her. They knew where she was coming from. Right. You know, going beyond CUNY, has anti-Semitism become almost acceptable bias today in intellectual circles? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that for me? I apologize. Yes, it yeah, was. That's yes, for you. Yes. That's from uh, Congressman, <coughs> Congressman Peter, Peter King. King. I apologize. Can you repeat that? Yeah, saying that the fact that she was selected in the first place, they had to know the bias she had. Secondly, as uh, going beyond CUNY, does this speech uh, indicate a growing tolerance of anti-Semitism in the intellectual community? yes to both questions. Let me just tell you, I am actually, what really enrages me is not that you have this one idiotic, ignoramus student. Because Rita and Pete, and Pete, I'm a big fan of yours. Rita, you you too. I was going to say, what about being a fan of mine? (laughs) I am. I I know all the work that you've done. I, I would love to sit down with you and hear about all those amazing interviews you've done over the years with so many people. Oh, my God. Come you're to the studio my... one day and do it, do it in person. Yeah, come join us. I, I offered to come in. I offered to come in. You know, I used to do a show on WABC right before you guys took over with John. 
Um, yes, I want my show back. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> He's taking your me... show now. <laughs> no, no, no. I want a different show. I want a different Wait, show. Wait, cats calls okay. me and lax? Is that where we're going here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'll be, how about that? Invite me as a guest. I'm happy to come in and bring donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me answer your, let me answer your question. So what really enrages me about, uh, what you're asking about is, you know, listen, when I was a student, Rita and Pete, I was an idiot. Okay. Students have a right to be idiots. You have a right to be stupid. You have a right to make mistakes. You should be stupid. You should be making mistakes. That's why you have faculty there. To me, who is really wholly responsible here, is the administration who saw the speech and allowed it to go on. Because, yes, the answer to both of your questions is absolutely yes. People knew her ideology. People knew what she was going to say when she got out there. And for the administrators who are full complaining now that the speech was changed, well, guess what? Go back and watch the video, and what do you see in the video? They're standing for her, clapping for her, rising for her, and applauding for her. So they heard that speech again after it was changed and loved it, it seemed, even more. No, you're right, because uh, the dean, in fact, of the law school was seen clapping. Uh, I mean, what does that say? Wow, wow, wow. We've got to take a break, but, but uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey we're going to invite you to the studio. Thanks for coming on today, and keep the truth uh, flowing. Thank you so much. That was great, Professor. You guys, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, keep the good gonna fight. Okay, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back with Congressman Barney Frank. Remember the old banking bill? Dodd-Frank knows something about banking was on the Signature Bank board, and he thinks that there's some things that are not, how do you say kosher? Not kosher. That's the best Let's way to say Let's take that it. break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Wow. Just hearing from the current CUNY law professor, Jeffrey Lacks, saying he is outraged, obviously, about what happened with that speech from the grad student. And, and you know, Pete King, one of the things, too, is Lee Zeldin, of course, who ran against Kathy Hochul, uh, the current governor of New York. He just came out recently and said, where is Kathy Hochul? We haven't heard her say anything about this. Well, you know, you give Eric Adams credit. He did criticize it, but Kathy Hochul has gone underground on this, and it's terrible. And Lee, I, I really applaud Lee for standing up on this, getting out there. This should be a very public issue in the most legitimate way. To me, this is anti-Semitism being tolerated by a public university with taxpayer dollars, and the governor of New York has an absolute obligation to speak out and denounce it and take action. What kind of action? Do you think maybe there should be some withholding of funds or something? Some people are saying that. Well, first of all, as far as I know, the governor and the mayor appoint a lot of the board, and certainly Giuliani got involved when these things happened. Whenever something like this happened, the mayor would have his board members look into it. Absolutely. He wouldn't sit by silently. Tony Carbonetti, you know, the thing is, too, this school actually had somebody fairly similar the year before. I mean, this is a pattern here, Tony Carbonetti. You need to go and see what the the thought process is and the selection of the of these speakers. And obviously, it's let's find every left wing nut we can have and come and come spew it to the the kids. It's just disgusting. And to me, um, stunning that in this day and age, 
that somebody would be up there. And and even more stunning, that the deans and the faculty were clapping. Right. I mean, if you look at the cover of the New York Post today, the dean of the law school, Peter King, is clapping, thinking, what right. a great speech. And, you know, today, if if they find something online that a person said that was insensitive 20 years ago. 20 years ago, they 10 bring years it up. ago, they have to resign, leave their job. Uh, if there's a show, they lose their advertising. Here you have something right in the middle of the day. People are seeing it, observing it. And the faculty stands up and applauds. It's, ab- it's indefensible. It really is. And it says a lot about society. If we're going down that path where there are certain things you're not allowed to say. At all. If, for instance, Eric Adams said that he had been a cop. He was on the NYPD. That's all he said. And he got booed. They stood up and they had their backs to him and all that. This one is a total tirade about Jews, about the cops, about basically white people. It's uh, said the country is basically racist. Horrible. For all of us that were waiting for Barney Frank, uh, he's supposed to be calling in. And he has not called in yet. Uh oh, we're waiting for him. And, and he's, by the way, an interesting guy, John, because as we were talking, uh, right before the show, he's now basically saying, uh, Dodd Frank in part is to blame for what's going on. And, uh, Tony, I, 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 I want to hear how there. he gets from here. No, to there. I listened, I listened to a couple of friends of mine that talked about the, one of them, I won't mention his name. He was a chief lending officer of Central Bank at one time. And he's passed a five year period where he can talk. Uh, and um, he says that uh, bad things happen at Signature as far as they should not, the government should have not brought it down the way it brought it down. Wow. And by the way, speaking of banks, did you see this, John, that uh, um, Bill Ackman is saying Jamie Dimon should run for president. What's your well, reaction Jamie, to that? Jamie is a Democrat. He could run the Democratic Party, and, and he's one smart guy. But I'll tell you, I mean, uh, uh, he could probably make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, a smart guy with the economy, you know, I mean, at least he could talk. I'm a big fan of, of what Jamie is saying about All his right, employees. Let's, let's go to our next guest. We're going to find out what happened to, to uh, Barney. Barney Frank. Let's go to our next guest. Yep, we've got Montana Tucker. And as we are talking about anti-Semitism and a topic, of course, with this CUNY speaker, very fitting that we have with us now someone who is bringing the next generation to be aware about the battle against anti-Semitism. And also, she's a country singer. She is a big social media influencer. She's also going to be part of the Auschwitz Jewish Center Foundation, uh, one of the honorees, along with you, John, appropriately, uh, which has taken place later this week. Montana Tucker here now joins us on Cats and Cosby. Montana, thanks for being with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You know, how important is it teaching the next generation? Um, and, and I'm sure you've heard us talking just now about, did you hear about the City University of New York had this graduation speaker who just shouted, just talked about very vile things, uh, very anti-Israel, anti-NYPD, anti-military. Everybody is really stunned that this was the person that was picked as the commencement speaker. Um, it just shows the importance of your mission to teach young people about what happened. And also, this is something near and dear uh, and and sadly in your family history. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's... So incredibly important. You know, anti-Semitism has always been around, as we all know, and it just took this mainstream, um, you know, rapper or mainstream uh, basketball player, I feel like, to really bring it to light even more. But this has always been here and always been around. And for me specifically, growing up hearing my grandparents' stories my whole life, I always knew I had to do something bigger, but never knew exactly what that was. And, you know, I'm really grateful for growing this platform of 
all across social media is about 14 million. And I said, if I had the opportunity to be able to educate and to be able to open people's eyes about anti-Semitism, about the Holocaust and how we can never allow it to happen ever again, and not just for the Jewish people, but for any race, religion, sexual preference, we cannot uh, to end hate and all for, for everyone. So it's really, really important, especially with the power of social media, where most people are getting their news or their conspiracies or everything. It's really, really important that you know, myself and others are on there just educating. Absolutely. Tell us about what your grandparents went through, too, and, and your history, too. Yes. Yeah, so both of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. My grandma is from Hungary and my Zadie was from Romania. He unfortunately passed away three and a half years ago at 97 years old. And my grandma is still alive at 94, but is suffering Alzheimer's of over 14 years, unfortunately. But I grew up hearing their stories my whole life. You know, they did the Shoah Foundation with Spielberg. My grandma's story specifically is, I mean, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the series or if anyone listening does have a chance to watch the series. I I have a whole episode where I go to Auschwitz with my mom. My grandma is a survivor of Auschwitz, and we stand in the same spot of where my grandma last saw her mother and saw her mother get beaten and taken to the gas chamber. So it was was a very, very powerful experience for me. And I didn't know what was going to happen from posting the series. To be honest, I thought I was going to receive a lot of hate because I've received hate in the past or posting just a lighthearted photo of my grandparents talking about being Jewish. So I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And it has honestly done so many incredible things. It has made such an impact. I go around to the schools and I'm speaking at the schools and now I'm being honored for the Auschwitz Jewish Center Foundation. I mean, it's just a really, really incredible things have come from the series and it's really opening people's eyes. And that's what was most important about it. Absolutely. And before we let you go, Montana, real quick, uh, what's the message you want people to take away, especially young people about the importance and the lessons well, first of all, I want to congratulate John as well for being for receiving his award, and I'm looking forward to meeting you tomorrow. Um, and the, the the most important message I would say is, if you see something, say something. I think people just turn an, a, a blind eye to so much these days. And I think even back then, the more research I do on the Holocaust, there were so many people that just turned a blind eye. And I feel like if they didn't, who knows what the outcome would have been. So even if you think it's something so small, please don't just turn a blind eye and please say something. If it's to the younger generation and they're in school, say something to their teachers or their principals or their parents. And if it's us adults and we see something, we have to just not allow it. We have to, whether it's using our social media platforms or whatever it is that we can to amplify, we have to make sure that we're not just sitting back and not saying anything. Absolutely. Well, you keep up the awesome work spreading the word to future generations. Uh, we can't wait to see you tomorrow um, at the Auschwitz Jewish Center Foundation. And, uh, of course, uh, Aviva Miller, who does great work there, and everybody there. And uh, how beautiful that you and Talking John will be honored. Talking about Hungary, I, we got uh, Todd Shapiro on the phone right now calling in from Hungary. And they're on the way to Kiev to have some chicken Kiev. Oh, oh hey, well, uh, Let's put on what top. better place? What better place? Montana, uh, thank you very, oh, very much. Gosh. By the way, real quick, how can people follow you real quick on social media? Oh, yeah, please. Um, all of my social media is just at Montana Tucker. So it's M-O-N-T-A-N-A. 
T-U-C-K-E-R, and on all the social media platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, all the things. <laughs> you keep up the awesome work, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks so Thank much, Montana. Thank you so much. So looking forward to meeting you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, John, let's go now to uh, Todd. I understand we've got Todd uh, calling in there uh, from Have you had Hungary. any chicken Kiev yet? <laughs> A lot of chill, a lot of goulash. I'll tell you one thing. Hungarian goulash. You, you can't go, you can't go to Hungary unless you go to Hungarian. You know, and Governor Pataki's roots go back to Hungary. And, you know, what's amazing is, you know, most governors after so many years, they decide that you know, they want to do things. <laughs> they want to write books. Governor Pataki isn't like that. He, he's taking us on a, on a mission to the Ukraine where we're going to be going to, you know, Kiev. We're going to be meeting with government officials, but more important, he's going to be helping out by bringing medical supplies and medical technicians to teach people safety and medical techniques so people can help themselves when they get, you know, get hurt and things of that nature. He's also been providing housing and generators for the people of the Ukraine, which is really quite an amazing thing, John and Rita. When you think about it, where, you know, most people today where, you know, you, you see drones hitting there, I think it was a hundred and something drones. In the last few weeks to hit the city. Yeah, by the way, a whole bunch in the last uh, few days, Todd. You gotta be careful there, my friend. I took life insurance on Todd before he left. You did? Did you double it? (laughs) I was always always good at battleship. And, you know, never, you know, I never lost battleships. Hey, Todd, 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 this is Pete King. Let me congratulate you and thank you and the governor for what you're doing. Also, apart from what you're doing now, I think this is a great reminder of what an outstanding governor that uh, George Pataki was. I don't think he always got the credit he deserved, and this shows his commitment, really, to human rights and his continued commitment to doing the right thing. So thank the two of you for going there. It takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage, so I I commend you for it. And by the way, I understand your restaurant's doing great, and somebody told me you found my bar mitzvah picture, and you put it up on the wall. We, we got we got a big picture of Peter King, you know, uh, a vintage Peter Peter King. By the way, was probably the, the greatest congressman that that New York State has ever had. He, he didn't pay you to say that, did he? He doesn't have to. It's no, no, he hasn't sent you to bill yet. When I was a young when I was a young Republican and I was at Hofstra University, Peter King was the you know was the Nassau County controller, and he you know he was just he was the most amazing public servant. Representing everyone, he came out. He, he was just there was nobody better, nobody finer, and he, well, even today, Todd, you know, Todd, he just, he, he uh, uh, tomorrow night, if you're going to be in Kiev, we're going to try to get you in Kiev again and see you, uh, and, and you report in from Kiev. No, I appreciate John. It's, and you know, if it's Governor Pataki is awake. Put Governor Pataki on too. So we're going to call you. Hand the phone to Zelensky when we call you. Okay. Well. I'll, Definitely hand it to Zelensky. He's supposed to be right. meeting with, with Zelensky Todd. and a lot of other people. Yeah, we're stay, ready. Stay, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. And if Zelensky God. wants to talk to us, we'll pre-tape it and play it at 5. No, sounds good. God bless you and John you, and Reader and everyone else. And stay, God, stay, stay safe. safe. Bravo, take, my friend. Let's take a break, and when we come back, you never know what we're going to have. Maybe Bonnie Frank will show up. Who knows? Or someone else. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and uh, with us now is Congressman uh, Barney Frank, a congressman for almost forever. Yep, from uh, the in 1981 of, to 2013, many wow. years, yeah. And uh, the author of uh, God Frank, which was uh, the Bible for banks, and he was a uh, member of the board of Signature Bank. And uh, Barney, uh, I uh, 
I had breakfast the other day with uh, one of our friends. I'm not going to mention his name, the old chief lending officer. And he told me some horrific stories. What the heck happened? Signature Bank did not deserve to die. Correct. Um, we were, by the admission of the regulators, solvent. We had not made bad loans. We had enough uh, capital and assets. What hurt us was this. We went into the business of servicing people who wanted to deal in crypto. We did not, as a bank, accept crypto deposits. We had no crypto assets ourselves. But what we did was very innovative. We said, if you're a depositor in our bank, you put dollars in our bank, and you want to deal with another depositor in crypto, we will be the platform, which is what banks are supposed to do. Banks are supposed to facilitate the payment system. And because we had this service, it was a money-making service. There were no losses involved. We were not at risk to crypto because if it went down, that was a problem of the people who were trading it with each other. But here's what happened. First, the FTX scam makes everybody worried about crypto. Then two banks that were more heavily involved in actually owning crypto than us, uh, Silvergate and Silicon Valley, uh, are closed. One closes voluntarily, one is shut down. What then happens is people say, oh, wait, Signature Bank, they do a lot of crypto business. Mistakenly, many people assuming that that meant we were at risk if there was a crypto problem. We weren't. But what happens is on the Friday in March, people start pulling their deposits out because under the law, and I think they should be changed, your deposit is only insured up to $250,000. So beginning on Friday, we started to lose deposits. On Sunday, I believe the regulators kind of overreacted, not kind of overreacted, and shut us down, even though, again, they acknowledged we we were not in trouble in the sense of being insolvent, of owing more money than we had. Barney, was a- our, yeah. mu- our mutual friend at breakfast said to me that, that, that uh, four weeks before the regulators were in and gave you... Re- you know, grade A marks. Tell, tell us yes. about that. On February 15th, I was in a board meeting with the regulators, both the federal and state. We have both. And there's something called the CAMEL rating. CAMEL is an acronym, uh, C-A-M-E-L, uh, that measures the capital, the assets, the management, etc. And the highest rating you can get is one. The lowest is five. Nobody, it's very rare that you get a one because, you know, they want a perfect bank. But we had long gotten a two, which is a very high rating, two out of five. And on February 15th, the regulators reaffirmed that. On February 15th, less than a month before they shut us down, they said, you're a number two rated bank. That is as high about as a bank could get. And there was no warning at the time that there was this a terrible risk. And the only thing that happened was people panicked and withdrew their money from the bank. And look, a bank run is difficult. No bank can have on hand enough cash to refund every deposit instantly. And that's the other problem, Jeff. And and they tried to get a $2.5 billion loan uh, that was approved that you were going to get $2.5 billion in to cover people that were were coming in to to take the deposits out because, my opinion, some of your people that work for Signature tipped off uh, your, your customers 
uh, to, to take their money out. Well, I'd be appalled to know that that was the case. But the point is that if they had not shut us down, ironically, by the way, John, as you know, on Monday, uh, having shut us down on Sunday, they announced that they would uh, protect any deposit. So uh, they What did it accomplish? Shut it down. What did it accomplish? Hey, Bonnie, before we wrap it up. Congressman King. Yeah. Bonnie, it's great to talk to you. Let me just take this moment to thank you for the bipartisan help you gave after 9-11 with the terrorism risk insurance. Manhattan may have not rebuilt the way it did without your help. It was bipartisan. Well, and, and, and there was nothing in it for you. So thank you very much. And Bonnie likes, Bo- thank you. Bonnie, uh, Bonnie likes uh, Bobby Vance. And we're going to meet Peter King. and take you to dinner there. Oh, great. All right, Peter. It's great to talk to you Good again. To you, Bonnie. Thanks for everything. Uh, Tony right, Carbonetti, okay. you had anything? Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for telling the American people the truth. Uh, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, guys, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.